Wednesday night, noon, there la harel, ya hell ho ho, don't zinegar, it's a all healthy spring fever, la hunt a hell cole. Good don't zinegar, deniate podcast, or see Willis Jean Vie, who shin in Taylor's tours, Clearwater River Denny Nation band member at the SCO, and uh, come to you live from the Treaty Four territory, home of the Cinnaboyan, the Sioux, the Soto, the Metis, Nakoda, the Cree, Dakota, all of the First Nation people all around this great nation. Masi Cho, Dunsarultai. And I got a guest for you tonight. Kole, you know, Navajo Neno, it's at you, TJ Warren, Julia, Red Mesa, Arizona. Kole, do. TJ Saskatoon uh Honestan is a Kuanestan on the so and uh obviously at the boy so we won't be able to then so obviously it's gonna be in English mostly and uh it's okay we're gonna learn from uh TJ about the Navajo and the Dene down south are relatives so yeah donald was in a hustle massy chose hello in a hello there will need a dog out in the world ozzy good evening sharon with that i'm gonna bring him in tj warren all the way from red mesa arizona tj how you doing atlanta oh yeah atlanta i'm thankful to be on your program here today a uh, long lost relative, you know, it, it, it's usually takes something to happen to connect with people. And, uh, you know, the one place that we connected was at a gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always something, eh? Yeah. You betcha. All right. Well, all the viewers out there at London, uh, TJ Warren, Hushe, uh, Red Mesa, Saskatoon, you know, Nestor, Saskatoon, Nestor. And so, I'm really thankful to be able to join the program. And again, as he introduced, you know, I come from the Diné people, and I guess I'll introduce myself in the Diné language too. Yeah, okay? go ahead. Yeah, go All ahead. Right. Show us. Yeah. Show us. Yeah. 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 Treaty Six Territory, con, um, uh, homeland of the Métis, or the Yenigay Conchas, uh, Conquest, 
and uh, really thankful to be able to be a part of your program. Uh, my basic introduction, you know, as a Dinef person, you know, usually consists of the four clanships that we identify with. And so my my first clan as a Dinef person, I identify I'm my mother's child first, so that's who I am. So my first clan is So means uh, the weaving, the weavers people, and uh, it's a Zia Pueblo clan. And so uh, that's what that uh, means. And it's also, uh, they are part of the Tuichitni clan. And so the story goes a long time ago that there was a, a Zia Pueblo uh, women that were taken, that were abandoned by their people and uh, the, the Neh Tuichitni people, the Bitterwater clan, they came and they adopted them and they became the Neh people that way. And so this goes back generations, you know? And so, you know, as, that that bloodline probably kind of thinned out, but we always uh, identify and recognize our relatives from my maternal side. So look at the Twenichitni, the Zia Pueblo people from that side. And so um, my second clan, uh, it comes from my dad, uh, my father's child. And so Abushishchin, that's who I'm born for, is what how we say it in our in our clanship. And so I come from the um, the Batani, and the Batani are the people known to. Um, you know, possess all of these gifts that they kind of protect, whether it's, you know, the, the ceremonies or the knowledge of ceremonies or medicines or the knowledge of the stories, the origin stories of, uh, of a Dinef people. And so uh, they were known with the, as the people who kind of stood off to the side like this, protecting those gifts, you know, the arms crossed. And so Batani means underneath his covers or his arms are crossed, folded arms people as it's Denified. And so that's my second clan. My third clan I get from my uh, my mother's mother's people, so the matriarch, the maternal uh, grandparents, and so that one's the uh, uh, the Tlashchi people, and so the they commonly use the 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 term uh, red bottom people or the red streak under their face people, and so these were people that uh, were warrior society people, you know, and so that was the understanding. Uh, they put red ochre on their face, and so that was a way to protect their eyes, you know, so. There isn't a, a lot of reflection from the sun. And so if you've ever seen a lot of those old warriors, you know, they paint their face red here. And that's what that was, that red ochre. So that was my third clan, that, my maternal uh, grandparents. And then Kishichitni uh, uh, is the other one. It's uh, known as the Red Towering House People. And so these people who kind of used to live in uh, in high altitudes, so kind of the red cliffs in that region where I'm from, you know, they are known for the, the the people that came from that region, and it's also say said to derive from the uh, the Hopi people, and so uh, the Red Cliff people they they were they're also adopted into the Dene people and became Dene, and so the have a little bit of Pueblo lineage lineage, and also Zia Zia Pueblo uh, Hopi and uh, Pueblo lineage too in there. So those are the four clans that I identify when I introduce myself, and if you can think about it, you know it's a way of making all of those kinship relationship connections. And so anybody who identifies one of those four clans is related to me, uh, you know, instantly, and we can identify that. And that's kind of constitute and governs our society as the Navajo people. And so that's a big part of our society. To introduce yourself like that is very important. Yeah, to acknowledge, uh, you know, the ones even before you, right? I mean, uh, like you said, it goes back... Uh 
generations and generations and and i find it pretty cool that you know you guys are the uh you know dene sutlina down there too but we don't have the clan system up here so you know it's really cool to to hear that but i'm guessing it comes from the uh, influence of the hopi and the and the pueblo too right that's probably where the clan system comes from is it uh, many people actually will say that uh, a lot of uh, here in the north, some of the elders that I talked to, some of them that they they used to say that, yeah, we did have clanships a long time ago, and uh, we lost it somewhere down the line. And so, with the the adaptation of uh, the the re the religions that were brought into the community that were forced into the communities, you know, they lost that clanship system and identifying that. And so, I don't know if if it's something that we continue to keep. Uh, that's what is told about us because uh, in our our uh, emergent story is the beginning for our Dene people from our aspect, from our perspective, those clanships are where we uh, derive from. And so uh, one of the major uh, four clans that were the original clans, you know, you see that in my introduction, we come from those original four clans. And so we also come from uh, relationships to um, to other clans too. And so a lot of those clans can be categorized into uh, certain areas. And there's a, a list of clanships that you're related to too in those areas. And so that's what we understand in terms of that. But yeah, I, I have heard uh, Denny communities, different areas that said that we, oh yeah, we used to have clanships long time ago, but we don't use it anymore. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's what they uh, talk about sometimes. And they, they I had a, and elderly say, "Oh yeah, we sh we should get that back because a lot of our a lot of our relatives are ending up with one another. You know, they're they're they're, they're starting to shack up with their cousins." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, it just after six, eh? After six. <laughs> yeah. Chris yeah. says, "Up, DJ." <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I mean, uh, I've I've never heard of it up north. I mean, uh, maybe further north they have it, but uh, where I come from, I mean, uh, they're pretty good in the language. But uh, you know, the ceremonies and all that. I mean, uh, uh, ceremonies you guys have, and we don't have a lot of that. So, and um, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, a we, lot we of find that. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, a lot of communities, they have them. Uh, you know, it's either northern Manitoba, they'll have the, the drumming and uh, up in the north and, uh, you know, just where I'm from. So it's, you know, it's pretty cool how um, you have the powwows and all those ceremonies. So, yeah. Well, I should uh, say that powwow is uh, a recent uh, thing for the Navajo people. And so, uh, you know, with the intermarriages that had happened some years ago into the community, a lot of people started to adopt powwow. And the same thing with uh, other types of ceremonial ways, like uh, even the NAC, you know, Native American church ways, and also the, uh, the Sundance ways. And so... Uh, a lot of people who went to school in different parts of the country also participated in those over there and they brought them home and they started to practice those. And so a lot mm -hmm. of adaptations had taken place, but many of us still have our original ceremonies. And um, 
you know, today it seems like we only have a small bit of what's left, even though to other people it, we have lots, we have yeah. lots that we're still doing. But to us, uh, you know, some of the older people, when they think about their time period, they're like, man, you know, a lot of these old ceremonies, they kind of almost are extinct now, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. we, we understand it that way as youth that, well, we got to start taking up uh, more interest into, you know, trying to initiate ourselves into those realms and being able to look at some of our uh, practitioners today and try to study with them and learn from them. And uh, there's not a lot of people who are apprentices today that are carrying up a lot of those different ceremonial ways. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the things that we always talk about is uh, our relatives up north. And, uh, you know, you know, did you know that it, it was kind of taboo in our some of our societies that, you know, that we came back together like this? You know, uh, some people used to say that there was a separation for a reason. And uh, the day that we start to come back together like this, you know, there was going to be change. There was something that was going to happen. And uh, they always kind of said it in a way that, uh, you know, something was going to happen. Uh, it wasn't ever positive or negative. They just said that something was going to happen. And so that's what I see today. And uh, it was kind of inevitable, I think, because of the opportunity of human beings to be able to travel more you know, and more frequently. And so it, I think it was bound to happen. And so, uh, you know, it's always great to meet our relatives wherever they are. And so your home community is where? Is that Lalash or? Lalash, yeah. Lalash. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So I've visited a couple of different communities. And so it's, it's they all have different stories in terms of, I, I think, missing pieces to our bigger stories as a, as a people. And so, um, uh, I myself, what I can speak upon is my family's story, my my uh, practitioners, uh, my leaders, my community stories in terms of how we understand who we are and where we came from. And so, uh, on the Navajo Nation, if you if you don't know, you know, to give you perspective, uh, from the north to the south, it's about a six-hour drive from the north side of our, our reserve to the south side of our reserve. The same thing from the east to the west. You know, there's uh, 27,000 square miles of reserve land that we uh, inhabit. And uh, I think today, if we look at not only just the census numbers, but the number of people that we believe that we have that identifies Dene people from the Navajo Nation, I think we're well, well above, you know, 400,000 people. And so I think that our registered that live on reserve that's another number. And so I think probably roughly just over 200,000 live on reserve. Hmm. Yeah. So we have a big, big community, big, uh, big number of population. But whenever you come to our reserve, it's still very rural. It's still very like people, you can still be in an area and not see a house for miles. And so that's how big our reserve is. And so uh, wow. our reserve system is a lot different than the way that they, uh, you know, conduct and see how reserves are used today in this territory and Canada. Yeah. And so yeah. back home, we have, uh, grazing permits and, uh, lot, land allotments that are given to families. And those are inherited by families transferred over. And then, uh, people, uh, take care of so many acres of land and it's shared that way amongst the relatives and stuff. 
mm-hmm. there's a lot of land that also has been removed from us, taken away from us. And uh, my my story, my mother's side of the family, our land was big, but what had happened was the the Bureau of Land Management, the BLM. It's you know part of uh, the the state and uh, provinces in the in that area where we come from, and they started to try to take over land. And so, one of the ways that they used to intimidate my grandmother, my my Shmasan, uh, as we are referred to her, my maternal grandmother, we say Masan. They used to uh, kind of kill off her livestock to try to intimidate her. And so they used to push them out and push them away. And so we went and pushed, got pushed into this little area, this canyon area, what they call uh, uh, which is uh, the Horse Canyon. And uh, Horse mm-hmm. Canyon is where a lot of us live now on my mother's side of the family. We still don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have running water there. Uh, they just recently started to get uh, access to electricity. But I remember the days growing up with my grandmother. They used to live in a, just the Hogan, which is this uh, earth-covered uh, lodge. And it was just a, you know, there's a, a log base around, uh, eight-sided mm-hmm. Hogan. And then it was just covered with red dirt over the top. And in the summertime, it was really cool. But we also had an outdoor living space, which you call the the, the Cha'o, which is this uh, shade-covered uh area outside that we used to sleep you know outside too during the summertime and mm. my my grandmother too they used to just live in different parts in that area they didn't have a permanent structure where they stayed they just yeah. kind of followed their livestock and to the lower areas when it was nice and hot and warm by the river and then into the higher areas during the, you know for better grazing and things like that and so yeah. i remember those simple times you know uh, it was kind of the best education for me because i got to learn from my grandmothers and um, uh, my grandfathers and just being able to live that that lifestyle then. And so, you know, you used to have outhouses back in those t- times too. And so, uh, yeah. you know, uh, growing up, it's, it's, it's all different for everybody now. They're fancy now. Yeah, for sure. Whereabouts <laughs> is Red Mesa? Red Mesa straddles uh, the Utah and Arizona border. And so there's a Red Mesa, Arizona side. Uh, we identify that uh, uh, I went to school in that area on that side, and uh, my family lives just mostly on the Utah side, uh, Red Mesa, Utah side, as we identify it too. And so we live right on the border of both, and so uh, that's what we identify as Red Mesa. We say Tsechi the second, which means you know this this red plateau Mesa area. Tsechi means this red rock or red plateau area. The Sakan, which is this plateau, this mesa. Yeah. How do you say rock in uh, uh we say te. Te? Yeah, te. 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 Yeah. Remember, we, we te. talked about this a little bit earlier. Remember, we talked yeah. about the the variation, the similarities of the words. And so yeah. some of the viewers didn't get to hear, you know, uh one of the first things we compared was numbers, right? And yeah. uh for me, uh I say Asla Naketa di Ashla. Now in Dene, from your people, how do you say it? Yeah. So like yeah. the first five are like first almost five. the same, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then what and was then, the other comparisons that we made? Uh, um, 
I just heard you say it. Uh, horse, horse and dog. You said he. Yeah. Which? Yeah. So we say he uh, is for dog, and he cho is horse, and then you guys. We say he for horse, and we say she cha for dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You know, it's it. You yeah. know, the crazy thing is, like, I mean, uh, it's the same, and this happened. I was at a ceremony in um, Kamloops, to Kamloops there, you know, and um, the guy, yep. the medicine, the elder there that was in the ceremony, he said, we get the word Denia from the Dene people. You know, he's he's using the four-legged while he's doing his prayer, and he, he kept saying Denia. <clears throat> or um, they asked me, how do you say this in Dene? And then he said, we get the word denia from the Dene people. And, and, you know, and then I thought, you know, as I'm sharing yeah. it with some of my relatives, like, how long ago was that passed on? And then how long ago was walking down, you know, way down to Arizona? I wish my family went walked down there. <laughs> Where it's nice and hot. I know, when right? I first came up here, they're like, yeah, everybody's like, why did you come up north and everybody in the wintertime, they go south. And I said, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's these Cree women up here. You know, they brought me all the way up here. And so I've been staying <laughs> in this area. Oh, that's another thing, you know, uh, the nest, uh, you know, that the male person, you know, one of the things that we're taught is that when we marry into a, a family, we go there and we take care of our wife and we take care of our children there and the community. And so, you know, that was one of the teachings that we had. And the one of the things that you used to say is that the home belongs to the, the, the children and to the mother. And so the fire that is built in there, that home fire, you know, that's what we understand as the center of our universe. And so in our language, when we say fire, we say, kon. do you guys say kon too for fire? Kon. Yeah. Kon. 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 Yeah, we say kon. And so again, you know, when we talk about our home fire, you know, we always talk about our one, our home, and it's a place of uh, protection. It's a place that we go as, as our stronghold. And so, you know, there's a lot of similarities. It's pretty cool that we get to uh, speak like this. And um, I know some of the other words, uh, I think some other words that we might have in common, I think are like rabbit. For us, we say ga. Ga. Yeah, that's how we say it. Yeah. Ga. Yeah, and how about for bear we say shush, sus. Yeah, sus. How about water? We got yeah. here water. Okay. How about you? Water. water? We we say two. Two. Yeah. Two. Yeah, we say two. And then um, I was in. I think it was Black Lake, and the way they said Black Lake, I kind of understood it right away. We say uh uh. Uh, how do you say Black Lake? Dazi Tua. Dazi Tua, I think. Oh, Dazi. We say Shlejin. We say Tushlejin. For black. Black Delzen. Yeah, Shlejin. Yeah, we all very similar, eh? <laughs> Almost, eh? It's like. Yeah. Uh... And then even white. White, we say Shlejin. Delge. 
Wow. See, it's really close. And then, yeah. uh, what about fish? We say slow. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I just had some. Fish. <laughs> yes. And then for yes, we say uh or oh. Uh, How do you guys say yes? Uh, yeah, see? Uh, we say uh. <laughs> In conversation, when somebody's talking to you and you agree with them, we say oh, uh, uh. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a question here. The so other the one is uh, like, okay. Yeah, I think I think we got a bit of a delay because of Bluetooth. But the uh, so the woman doesn't leave the husband's reserve when you were talking about uh, marrying into another. Yeah, we 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 come from a. It's more of a matrilineal society where I come from, you know. And uh, the woman is our home, you know. The woman is home for us. And uh, anytime we identify. Uh, the things that we do, it's always, you know, from our mother's perspective, our mother's people, we are our mother's child first. And so, you know, it's, it's always important to look at it that way for us. And people always talk about how things work today. It's a very uh, patriotical, paternalistic society, you know. But for us as the net people, we come from a very ma uh, maternal matrilineal society and so that's the understanding that i was taught growing up and uh, there was a lot of respect for women in in our in our uh society that uh that wears you know i myself i'm not i was not supposed to speak on behalf of women's teachings and things like that you know that's for them but for the sake of my daughters and the things that my daughters carry uh from my traditional background you know i had to learn a little bit of that too and um it's mm -hmm. my mother uh, that that guides a lot of those kind of things for my daughters, and so it's always important to know both too. There, there's a balance in that, but there is uh, female roles and male roles in our society. Hmm, that's pretty interesting. And um, about your language, um, <clears throat> actually, here we got this. This is a cool one about language too. Uh, first, we'll go to how do you say Walker? I don't know what she means huh? by walker, walker, <laughs> or someone who walks, maybe. Someone. Naga, somebody who's walking. Naga, he's walking around. Naga. So that's yeah. how, that's how we uh, identify that. And then, uh, you know, I was telling you about the word we use for to identify the conquistadors, right? The Mexicans. Yeah. And, uh, we said nakai, nakai, and so. When we first seen these people exploring the land, surveying the land, you know, uh, that's how we identified them. Oh, Ajinakai. So where are they at? Where are those people? Ajinakai. They're over there. They're walking around over there. Anakai. And so that's where some of the words came, originated from. You know, we identify people those ways. And so uh, even we talked about how we identify uh, uh, the Europeans, right? The, uh, the Anglo, yeah. the, uh, the white people. And so for us, we say Bilagana, Bilagana, the people that we fought were, that's uh, fought with. And so that's how we identify Bilagana, you know, the Bilagana, that's how that word originated too, when we identify the people. Bilagana, yeah. It's um, like, so you, it's like you're fighting them, you're fighting with them. Bilagana, yeah. We fought against them, Bilagana, Bilagana, yeah. 
Yeah, so that was the understanding that we we're taught growing up, you know, and uh, even the way that we identify our relatives to the north, you know, we we talk about the Dinehnadloni, the, you know, uh, whenever I go back home and when my grandpa and them didn't know where I live, you know, I always told them, oh yeah, the Dinehnadloni, the, and so where there our other Dene people are, and so Dinehnadloni, the, where there's other Dene people, and so. When I said that to him, he kind of understood. I'm, I must have been way up north, you know. Uh, that's yeah. where I live now. And uh, even if you look at some of the words that uh, we see in these areas, you know, uh, that they probably derive from Dene language too. And so, like even the word Alaska, where we have other Denes over there, you know, uh, sometimes yeah. we make the connection to the word Alaska, the people that you know, the people that went beyond or went further and so alaska and alaska you know sometimes that sometimes would make yeah. those connections to those types of words too huh. man it's so cool how you put so much uh, perspective into these things you know and, and it's just language you know it's our language yeah it's different but uh we all have our own meaning to it and it's cool for you to do that and i'm gonna take it to mr cal crazy legs arcan there can you touch on the veteran <laughs> code talkers from your area that i know um the code talkers are from the navajo nation right yeah uh that's a big thing for us uh we, we take a lot of pride in our warrior societies that had fought during that time period and the thing that is most prominent about that that era was that uh their their code was never broken and so what had happened was the military had brought in these dene people and uh, they weren't the first. There was other code talkers, actually. Uh, I think there was actually uh, some Choctaw code talkers, too, before. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there was also uh, some other languages that were utilized during that time period. And the Navajo just became the most prominent one because, uh, you know, it was one that wasn't broken ever. And so I think a lot of those files were declassified, I think, into 19... 80s i think they weren't even recognized and so it was until later on you know when these 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 veterans became really old that they finally were recognized and identified and so the language that they used in that time period is uh you know they use certain words to identify certain things you know different tanks and different uh missiles and things like that they would use uh names of animals that kind of represent that you know and so uh the language from that time period that they utilized they in they almost invented words to identify a lot of those things using existing words description of other things and so that's a big thing for Dine, navajo Dine, uh, people is that pride that we have of our navajo code talkers and that legacy of that and mm -hmm. so you know one of the biggest things for indigenous people was not being afraid to enlist because we had that natural uh, ability to protect our people. And so that's why we have a lot of indigenous people that weren't, that weren't scared to enlist and to fight for their, their communities and fight for you know, those things. And so uh, we talk about it today that uh, one, one thing that I read in the newspaper about this veteran back home, you know, he's been trying to, trying to get assistance for the past 10 years. He was literally homeless. He was living out of a shack and uh you know we don't have enough respect we're not honoring our veterans enough today and so uh, i myself my my grandpa he had brothers my dad's side he had brothers that had gone into military 
And so my dad's dad, him particularly didn't join military, but his brothers and relatives had uh, military ties. And uh, one of my grandpas also, what I refer to as my nollies, you know, uh, his, his name was Chester. And uh, he used to be a military person too. And I remember visiting his home all the time and he used to have all of these uh, war trophies in his home that he brought home from, you know, different parts of the world. And he used to share, one of the cool things about him was like, he always used to have all of these uh, martial arts films, you know, the karate Bruce Lee movies. And we used to go, I used to go visit him and he, we used to watch all of those and just hang out. And uh, I had a really good relationship with a lot of my, my, my grandparents, my older grandparents. And uh, uh, when I, when I hear stories about myself from that time period, I was like, man, I was, I was a naughty kid, you know? And yeah. uh, one, one of the names they always call me, you know, uh, at home, which I never knew the origin of was, uh, they used to call me Bajie and Bajie. And I didn't know, I didn't really understand what that word meant, you know, to me. Uh, for a long time until I asked, I was like, how come everybody calls me Bajie? They said, oh, you know, that's a nickname that they gave you. I said, well, where did it, where did it come from? And then they're like, well, it probably came from Bajie Kast. In our language, Bajie Kast means the one that doesn't listen. The net people, what? you know, we, uh, we, 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 when we speak or we introduce ourselves or we talk in public, one of the things that they used to tell us is that we're not supposed to say our own name. We're not supposed to identify ourselves in that way because it, it's kind of a, a form of humility. You know, you're not supposed to boast about yourself. Your relatives are supposed to introduce to you. You know, these people that brought you here are supposed to introduce you and things like that. And, uh, the way that you are perceived, that's how you were named. And so, like I was talking about the, you know, how my grandparents used to identify me as probably the one that was naughty, the one that didn't listen. My name changed over time. And uh, the funny thing was that I seen another relative and I haven't heard that name in a long time. And they said, oh, JJ Hot Dog. And I was like, man, where did that name come from? You know, and uh, apparently uh, I used to ask my uncles to take me to the store all the time to buy a hot dog for me. And so yeah. <laughs> JJ Hot Dog was my other name. It's funny because uh, we have different names throughout our lifetime. Uh, another name that I was identified with was Ashki uh, Josh. Uh, Ashki Josh means um, uh, ball boy or the guy or the kid that likes to play ball, basketball. And so that's my thing. I play basketball all the time. My yeah. grandmother that used to take care of me, she used to play ball with me, my uncles, my grandpa, my dad used to play basketball with me all the time. I used to have a basketball with me all the time. And so that's how I became known. Uh, yeah. TJ Warren Denny on the podcast. TJ Ganiu, Danu Deleja, no Halutautio, and uh, yeah, TJ Red Mesa Navajo Nation at Zatiza. So, Ayati, TJ, you know, you mentioned, did you speak your language just growing up? Did you always speak it? Um, I didn't use it as often as I should when I was younger because uh, when I went to school, you know, 
there was a lot of bullying. There was a lot of uh, things that happened in our school. Even though I went to school on the reserve, it was a public school. And so anybody that found out you knew your language or that if you talk with an accent, they, they always mess with you, you know? And so I always tried to, tried to I guess, uh, I, I did a lot of uh, what they call uh, code switching. I used to turn on my my other voice, my other, I used to use a regular voice and I didn't use my language speaking uh, quite often. And so, but I heard it all my life. It was role modeled around me and uh, I, I understood it really well, but I always had trouble speaking it because I didn't use it often enough. And so that's that's one of the things, but today I, I, I use it as often as I can. I talk to my daughters, I talk to my, my kids that way. My mom and dad, I, I made it a point with them to not to speak to me in English very much. And so when we're always talking on the phone to continue to practice, they always speak to me in Navajo. And so, um, you know, growing up, because I participated in the mainstream society, I became kind of an active, uh, uh, an advocate for youth. And so I used to go to all of these uh, conferences and speak at those conferences. And um, one of the things that I found that was really cool out there that was was the pride and the, the the sense of pride that they had and who they were and their language and all those things and when i came home i tried to mimic that i wanted to do that too and so when i got a little bit older i really delved back into trying to speak language and doing all of those things but it never left me i always had it it was always in my pocket uh, i always bring it back out i always speak with it and like even now is a great opportunity for me to do that and uh i just want to say a few things to my relatives that are talking to or yeah uh you know, thank you for tuning in, watching us, and listening to us. Uh, you know, our host here for being able to have us on your show. And, uh, and you know, I, I really appreciate everybody that's always been a part of my life and encouraged me to be who I am and continue to role model that. Those practices, the net ways of knowing and practices and teachings and being able to, uh, to, to, you know, really encourage that for me. And so as a young man, you know, I participated in a lot of our ceremonies and our ways. And I think that's where it was really valuable for me to experience that, to really know who I am as a net person. And so all of my uh, relatives that are watching is because of them. I am who I am today, and uh, it's because of them that I advocate for our children and everybody for all of these things that we're doing here today. And so, you know, uh, the cool thing is when I also learned about Dene people up north, even though they're very strong in their language, you know, mm -hmm. I, I also seen the, you know, the destruction of their ceremonies that were lost and their traditional practices. And uh, what I found also with the people in the north is that they're very close to the land. They have all the land practices. They can go out there, hunt, they can fish, they're building canoes and all of these cool things. But, you know, sometimes they don't have all the stories about the importance of every aspect of their lives, like doing those things, making those connections. Yeah, that's some uh, good points, man. I mean, uh, even when you go back to, to your nickname there in, uh, in the Dene language and you know, you're describing something like something you're doing, and uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. We are missing a lot of that, uh, you know, the story behind it. Maybe other communities they might, but um, I'm just speaking for you know 
And then going back to being, you know, young, and I strongly believe in it too. I mean, um, growing up, I, I always spoke the language. I got to attend, you know, be in the bush and learn how to trap and all that stuff. And and that and that has made me who I am today too. And uh, and I use that to uh, as strength, you know, uh, from the people from the people back home. And, and I always look at that and, uh, you know, it's a big piece in identity and, and then and how I identify myself, man, it, it, that's a, such a good point. So, you know, and then, um, yeah, yeah. Even in some of those things that you're talking about, you know, uh, for, for us as the net people, you know, because we live in such a different time period, not everybody hunts as often anymore you know but also we we're trying to uh harvest and take care of our animals in our communities too because we don't have a lot of deer we don't have a lot of elk we don't have a lot of our game big game anymore and so it's a regulated in our communities and there's no poaching and things like that too but when we do go out and we hunt we still have the the those steps those necessary steps to uh, go out and hunt too. So many of us will sweat before we go out on a hunt. Uh, we'll, we'll do protocol, we'll do, we'll do prayers and we'll acknowledge the animal. And then even when they uh, uh, take care of the animal after they hunted it, you know, sometimes they say a prayer to that, to, to that animal for taking its life. And then the way that they also harvest it and they cut up the, they, they, they skin the animal, there's a certain way that you do it too. And that's what we're taught at a young age. And then how you quarter it and things like that. Even uh, the idea behind uh, understanding what we're doing and not taking advantage of that. And so people today, they hunt for sport. You know, they they want to get the biggest rack and they want to, you know, put it on their walls. But for the Navajo Diné people, that's uh, that's kind of a, uh, uh, that's, that's a way of... Um, you know, not respecting the animal. And so many of us after a hunt, will take the, the antlers, the horns, we'll go put it back in the mountain where it belongs and, so, you know, offer, make offerings and prayers with that. And so that's one of the teachings that we have. And so amongst our Diné communities, you know, you'll, you, you won't see many people have their, their, their big trophy, you know, hunt on their wall or anything like that. And so that's some of the things that I, I remember growing up that my father was, uh, exemplifying, you know, he was role modeling that around us. And there's also a lot of uh, ceremonies for doing those types of things too. There's almost a rites of passage that you have to do uh, in, in being able to handle a lot of those things. And so I myself, uh, my dad had made it a point that we understand all of those aspects first before we do that. Because if we go and decide to do like everybody else and we don't have those teachings, some, somewhere down the line, it's going to affect us. And we're going to have to, you know, it's going to take a lot of resources and money and things like that to, to fix that. And so that's what we understand in our ways is that we, we don't want to make those mistakes. So we have to learn all of those practices first and understand the value of those, understand the relationship. And uh, again, relationships, the big important part, not only just to the animals and everything around us, but family, kinship. Those relationships are important. And so uh, when we talk about names, you know, I myself, one of the things that I was uh, told growing up is that we're supposed to identify our relatives with those re kinship relationship terms. And so my mother, you know, uh, I used to say, Shema, Shema, 
all the time, you know, growing up. And then uh, very rarely did I ever say Marilyn or Miriam. And the only time I did that was, you know, as a joke, you know, and uh, one of the running jokes too in our family was that when your mom or your dad said your whole name, man, you knew you were in trouble then. So anytime that I heard Terry James Warren, get over here, you know, I knew I was in trouble. I was scared. I was shaking, you know, but, uh, you know, to identify our kinship and relationship that way, it was respect and that understanding that you refer to your dad as Shaja'ah, your mom as Shama, your aunties and uncles by their name, Shaja'ah, Shaja'ah Yajah, Shama Yajah, Shaja'ah, Shabijah, Shadejah, you know, Shanadah, Shatzileh, you know, Shana'ah, all your kinship terms for your brothers, sisters, uncles, aunties, whether it's on your mother's side or your father's side, uh, we never really had terms for like great aunt, you know, <laughs> or second yeah, cousin, know. you know, none of those things, you know, every one of our uh, grandmother, sisters or brothers, they were all our grandparents. They were our, our, our grand, our, uh, yeah. on our yeah. maternal side, the way that we identify our grandparents is Himasana uh, and then Kiche. That's the terms that we use for our grandmother and grandfather on our maternal side, our mother's side. And then our father's side, we have different terms for our paternal grandparents. And we say, Shanala uh, Hastri. And then we say, Shanala Asta. And so you have those the identifications for your paternal grandparents or your, your maternal grandparents. So they both have different names too in that way. Yeah, that's, you know, it, it, and it's exactly the same at home. I mean, I don't do it. I, 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 um, you know, Sankia auntie uh said Chela, my little brother, said Deza, my sister, and and some of the words you said too, I I kind of understand. And yeah. it's the same thing, and I do it to my mom too. Her her nickname is Boo Boo, and I'll be on the phone, I'll say Boo Boo. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, Mom. <laughs> you know, and I do it the same way too. And it's it's funny you said that she's probably listening here right now. And um, yeah, Dene kinships are the same, and and it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, one 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 connection that I I uh, had with uh, another relative, I was asking, how do you say my mother? And then I say, we say for my mother, we say Shama. If we say a mother, a mother, we say Amma. And then uh, sometimes we also say Hama. Our mother, you know, Hama as a as a mm. word for our mother, and that's the same with you guys too. Is that correct? Hama, yeah, and ne, yeah, and ne and Hama, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of relationship and understanding in some of those terms that we value. That's important to acknowledge that, and so even the way that we identify things around us, there's sometimes a male and a female uh, balance in terms of how we identify a lot of those things, and so. Uh, even the word for, you know, the earth, this this place that we live on as human beings, we call ourselves uh, uh, which is the five-fingered uh, human beings. Uh, was what we referred to ourselves originally. means earth-walking beings, these earth-walking beings. And the way that we identify this land here is uh, this mother earth. Is how we refer to that. When we refer to the sky, we say uh, 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 our father's sky. We say 
Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetful here. Uh, and so, uh, our father, um, uh-huh. sometimes we, we say the creator. So, and so sometimes we, we, we think about words and the origins and wonder how those connections are made. You know, I always have questions like that from our relatives too. And always, uh, try to make those uh, connections for myself because I know one day my daughters are going to ask me, you know, my children are going to ask me. I even have nephews that consistently call me all the time and ask me. I, I myself, to be truthful, I, I know very little compared to my mother, my father, some of my older uh, uh, relatives, you know, you know, the ones I came out with my older brothers and sisters, they probably have more fluency in the language than I ever had. Uh, because, you know, as when you're the younger child, you know, we get away with a lot more. And so, you know, they're not as strict with us. And so I was kind of, you know, the second youngest. And so I have a little sister too, Ashadeja. And so uh, both of us are still really trying hard to try to uh, catch up to our older siblings too. And so uh, I really uh, appreciate them, you know, being patient with us, you know, all these years at a young age, uh, being able to be there for us too, as uh, older brothers, uh, Shana. And my, I have two older sisters, Shanadike, uh, so my two older sisters too. And I uh, just wanted to acknowledge them to say that I love them and I really appreciate all the things that they also instilled in me too. Mm-hmm. Nezun, Nezun, yes. I think, uh, I think um, maybe someone correct me if I'm wrong. Yake. I think that's what you said too, right? Yake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Shatra, yeah Shatra is how we uh, refer to sometimes as our our father, our creator. Sometimes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a question. There's a lot of similarities, here. which is pretty cool. You know, it's always good to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Do you have uh, animate and inanimate in Dene? Yeah, they, there's the living words for living and things and non-living things. Um, you know, that's, that's, you could tell somebody comes from a, a, a linguistic background, you know, they start to throw uh, the animate and non-animate uh, understandings and those. And, uh, I think she's uh, a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. There's even, uh, they break it down in verbs and singular, you know, uh, a lot of our language is pretty cool because we use a lot of tonal drops. And that's what's unique about Dene language is the tonal drops, being able to say certain words and just changing the tone, the tone, the tonal drops makes it a different word too. And so, you know, I once heard that the Dene Navajo language or Dene language was one of the top hardest languages in the world to uh, to, to learn. And so that's pretty unique. And uh, I should also say that our people were very multilingual too. You know, we spoke many languages because of the relationships with surrounding tribes and nations. And so a mm-hmm. lot of our leaders, they used to speak Ute, they used to speak Paiute, they used to speak Hopi, they used to speak Zuni, all these different languages around us and uh, even English and uh, Spanish, you know. Mm. Uh, in the Southwest, Arizona was actually part of Mexico at one time. And so if you ever seen some of our old uh, historical, those old sepia tone, you know, those old black and white photos of Dene people a long time ago, they yeah. kind of kind of got that cool uh, Mexican Western style of dress that they used to wear back in that time period, you know, and yeah. they were really awesome looking a long time ago. They used to wear those big 10 gallon hats, you know, those round <laughs> top hats. Yeah. And so it's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. That's uh, where was it? Sounds like the Dene have the SH dialect. 
Dene have a SH dialect. Is that is that correct? Uh, I'm not actually sure how they would uh, identify that in terms of our dialect in the Navajo Nation. I know yeah. we have, uh, you hear the variations in the styles of speaking down there. So you have the Apache, our other relatives, you know, that live near us. And uh, even though language is similar, they, they're also a little bit faster, some are a little bit slower, and they're speaking to that. That changes it a lot, too. And uh, we also talked about this, you know, we talked about the influence of uh, other languages into our societies. And so for us as the Net people, there was a lot of influence from the Spanish uh, language, too. And so when we think about some of the words that we use that come from the Spanish language, you know, a lot of the things that we that were foreign to us, you know, we see a lot of those words in our society, too. And so, um, for example, you know, the word for money, we say peso or Spanish, they say peso. But in our language, we say peso, peso. And so that's identifying, uh, you know, money in, in our language. It's, such, it's, a, it's a foreign thing, probably. And uh, just yeah. seeing other people identify or say it that way, that's how we kind of picked it up, you know. Uh, another example I gave was uh, apple, you know, uh, a foreign fruit, you know. And so in our language, we say pelasana, pelasana. In Spanish, you know, they say manzana, manzana. Yeah. And so there's a lot of little things like that that we can identify sometimes and make those connections of where those words came from. And even words that we've never heard of. And, you know, it's probably a lot of old relatives, you know, just to saying, oh, just making up words sometimes, you know, how do you say <laughs> Christmas? You know, oh, Keshmish. <laughs> In our language, we say Keshmish for Christmas. Is that how you say so, Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Man, I, I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting tonight, but yeah. Uh, it's just like us. Yeah, like it says there, like the French, you got French influence. And and then like a lot of people, there's the Cree and I think some French, some uh, the older people they would have known. And then um, Mitchif, Mitchif. Yeah, Mitchif. I think yeah. I think it's Cree and French put together. Yeah, that's a concept that was uh, kind of new to me when I came up here, you know, Métis and the understanding yeah. of uh, them identifying uh, that, you know, down south, even though there was a lot of people who were mixed, uh, they all identified as Dene, Dene people, Dene. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when you people introduce themselves, they usually say Dene San Shle or Dene Skin Shle. I'm a Dene male or a Dene female. Uh, for us, you know, one of the ways that we broke down the word Dene, Dene was uh, De means uh, uh, up above, Ne means below or right here, right here. And so we are those people that are in between. And so we're, we're part of the our, our relatives uh, above us and below us. And this is who we are. We're right here in the middle, Dene. So that was one of the words that we... Uh, kind of broke down the net a long time ago. People just say generalization. They say, oh, it means the people, you know? And so mm -hmm. sometimes we hear that too, so. Yeah, it's pretty cool here. I got to ask this guy to send me one of his favorite sunset picture. I'll paint it for him free of charge and he'll have a piece from the Dene relatives from Northern Saskatchewan. Yeah, something <laughs> with those amazing huge rocks they have there. Yeah. yeah, his name is Lanford Monk, He's a talented artist. He's a painter. 
and uh he would hook you up that's pretty cool you know and uh how you know we can learn from each other and then we can get gifts from each other and and from and we're all the same uh yeah i should say i like caribou hide hey <laughs> 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 well, caribou yeah. hide, you know it's really valuable where i come from it's always great yeah. what is uh some dene slang words we say SG, um, yeah. What I don't know. That? There's a lot of, I don't know. I, you know, for a long time, I didn't know they were slang words, you know, growing up. And, uh, you know, one of the first things we do anytime we learn languages is that sometimes we always learn the dirty words first, right? <laughs> we yeah. interact with other people. Those are always the first words that we hear. And, um, I don't know, like, <clears throat> Um, I don't know. There's there's real random words that are coming to mind right now, and it's funny because, uh, like today's bad. society, they, they're always just words that don't really have a meaning, but people use. You know, uh, for us, one of the things in my time when I was younger, some of the things they used to say was, uh, when somebody was trying to be funny, but you didn't find them funny, but you wanted to acknowledge it somehow, we say chish. You know, we say chish. And that was a way that we we kind of make fun of somebody else or uh, uh, other other things that we these probably aren't even slang words that you're looking for that I'm, I'm using as examples. But uh, another one was cleh, cleh, cleh. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. And then now today people say nay or uh, a you know those types of things. Hey, and, hey. Yeah, a or nay and. I don't know. It's it's weird. Uh, I I see all my younger relatives. They always come back, and there's always some little slang word that they're trying to use, and I'm always trying to understand. And because I'm away so long, you know, I've been away from home, uh, Arizona, and I've kind of made this my home in Saskatchewan and Cree territory. And uh, when they come up and they visit, they always have those new slangs, and I always I always don't understand where it comes from, and it's always funny listening to them. And then you you only spend a day or two with them, and all of a sudden you're using them too, and it, yeah. it wears on to you like that too. And I should have mentioned that I'm married into the Cree Nihilwak people. My wife is a uh, Dabney Morin, and she comes from the Big River Cree First Nation. And so, uh, for all the Cree relatives that are watching, you know, uh, I should introduce myself in Cree. Uh, my late mother-in-law, a couple of years ago, she passed. She uh, you know, she always made sure that uh, there was Cree language spoken in our home. My, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they're big advocates for language and culture and those types of things, too. And they're, they're also educated, too. But, you know, uh, one of the things that they always tried to, to, to tell us was that, you know, we shouldn't value that academic Eurocentric education as the, the pinnacle for our people. You know, this cultural aspect uh our indigenous knowledge over here is just as important that's very important too and so uh growing up you know my home too my father he was an art teacher my dad uh he used to work at our schools and are doing those types of things and he used to be a consultant too he used to share a lot of uh uh our traditional stories and he used to tell those traditional stories at our schools and he also used to paint paint those stories too and so my mother she was um she actually started as a as a janitor and then she started as a i think it was a a cook and then she was also a, a bus driver and then all of a sudden she found herself uh teaching at the school 
and then uh, she became a teacher, and then she became an on-site coordinator for uh, the preschools in our community. And so she used to oversee the preschools in that era, area. And so education, you know, we were we were kind of always around it. But uh, that's that's what I knew. And uh, oh, I want to introduce myself for my Cree uh, Nihilak people. And so Tansa Kadamskak Nawakakyo TJ Warren Nitsikasun. Red Mesa Uchinia Nia Napio, and uh, just wanted to say Danza to everybody who's listening from the Cree territories. And, um, you know, it's always important to respect the communities that you live in, that you participate in. And so, you know, even though, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, my people used to talk about, not to forget who you are, out of respect for my children and the people that I married into, I also tried to adopt those ways too. And uh, that's what I became, you know, that's became part of me. And uh, I was also telling you about uh, how we earn names and how people identify us. That's how we're portrayed or how we present ourselves. That's how people start to identify you. In this area, one of the first things that I learned uh, was how they identified me as an in-law, you know, Nahaksin. And so when I heard Nahaksin, my ears would perk up, you know, I wanted to know what my in-laws were saying about me. And so that kind of got me interested in the language. And then uh, the years that I've been been here, I started participating in some of the ceremonies that they do here. I started visiting more elders and I had mentors that are prominent uh, knowledge keepers in this territory. And uh, they gave me a name in this territory too. And so I carry a Cree name in this region too. And that's one of the biggest honors that I, I really appreciate that they gave to me to identify me in this region too. And so uh, being a knowledge keeper as they identify me in this territory, you know, I really had to earn the trust and the respect of all the elders in this community too. And so it was always important for me to have those relationships with them too. And so I, I'm really thankful that they have accepted me that way. And so uh, for us, the net people, you know, we don't always put our our traditional names out there in public and uh, it's a it's a piece that we utilize to identify ourselves with the deities, with all all of our 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 holy people, as we call them. You know, we don't have just one uh, God. You know, we have multiple, and so that's the way that we understand that we 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 have all of these holy deities that uh, take care of us, and we acknowledge them in all of our prayers and identify them those types of ways. So whether it's you know where they sit naturally, you know whether it's from uh, ha ha. Uh, you know, from the from the sunrise or uh, uh, where, where the sun sets or to the north or, you know, uh, all these different directions and being able to understand that there's all of these deities that sit around us and to acknowledge all of them and that how they take care of us. Um, the net people, Navajo people, also, we believe that uh, where we made our home now today, that's where we uh, practice our ceremonies and we do a lot of the things that we do there. And it's sacred because there are these four mountains that were placed uh, there to protect us. So anytime we are in those four sacred mountains, that's where we conduct a lot of our ceremonies. We believe that's where we have the most power in doing those things. And when we low, go beyond those mountains, and then sometimes we don't do certain things a certain way because that's only for back home, back in those four sacred mountains, we're allowed to do that. So uh -huh. sometimes when we come out to even outside those sacred mountains, my prayers might change just a little bit and how I how I pray or acknowledge certain things because I'm beyond those 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 lines right now uh, at this time, you know. And so um, 
it's important to understand those teachings and know where those things are utilized and how sacred they are that that's where we keep them and so it's important to understand that from our our perspectives in our lives and so uh yeah yeah that's pretty cool stuff man how you know it just two different areas but we're all the same and uh and i like how you throw everything into perspective obviously the navajo perspective and it makes sense for me and uh, and we're very much alike you know just a slight difference but we are alike nezu i want to touch on uh you're always wearing those air jordans i noticed and uh <laughs> and uh, i saw it in the video today i saw it in one of your videos that you sent me and uh um we'll chat a bit about basketball because i know there was a show on netflix there that was uh the navajo nation i think chin lee was one of them um is yeah. that in your area is that basketball is a big thing yeah in the in the in the states in general basketball and football are kind of the most prominent sports you know whereas mm -hmm. here in canada it's it's hockey and volleyball too, you know, in soccer. And so you see that quite often being a prominent sports, but um, I found a little community of people that I hang around with that are basketball fanatics. And, uh, you know, I find like-minded people like that too, but uh, all the shoes, you know, the, the, the questions about the shoes and the relationship of that, you know, growing up, this was uh, a thing that, I had an infatuation with, you know, playing basketball. One of my heroes growing up was uh, Michael Jordan. And I yeah. used to watch him all the time. And my grandpas, you know, uh, they like sports too. And I don't know if they like sports before I did, but every time I visit them, you know, they would always cheer for the other team just to, you know, to, to, to mess with me. And so I remember going to visit Chiche, you know, um, my grandpa on my mom's side, uh, his name is uh, Key Mustache. You know, his name a long time ago, prior to being called Key Mustache, uh, I remember my mom telling me was Ashki, uh, 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 meaning uh, the boy, uh, the boy from the mustache family or so. Well, I think one of his relatives was probably a guy who was known to have a beard, you know, and sometimes they say that, you know, a lot of Indians, they are always clean. You know, they never had a beard. But in my family, you know, that was a thing that identified one of my, my grandfathers. And so uh, anyway, him, uh, Key Mustache, he, uh, when I used to visit him, the playoffs were happening that time period. And the Utah Jazz from, you know, where he lives, he's in Utah. Uh, they were in the finals against Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And I remember just you know, talking crap with him, going back and forth. And uh, he used to yell at me, swear at me in my in our language and all of these different things. And I used to play jokes on him. You know, I used to give him a piece of gum and uh, they still have them around today, but they have those sour gum. It's called uh, crybabies. And I never used to tell him uh, what kind I was giving him. And I used to give it to him. He used <laughs> to take it and eat it. And then he'd spit it out and he'd get real mad and throw it on the ground and chase after me. And uh, basketball was a place where we used to tease each other too. And so I have a lot of fond memories around basketball uh, because of that. And uh, Michael Jordan was always a figure during that time period. I think for all basketball fanatics from every reserve, uh, Michael Jordan was, you know, he was our hero. And yeah. uh, I didn't have a lot of chances and opportunity to buy shoes at uh, that time, my, my family wasn't really wealthy, 
where I could buy shoes all the time, you know? And so it's yeah. kind of nostalgic for me to buy shoes. And so uh, I actually, this is a bad thing. I hate to, to say this, but I have probably over 50 pairs of Jordans and uh, they're oh. all from the time period of that early era. Oh, uh, nice. the, the silhouettes of uh, from the first one, the, the first Jordan, Air Jordan ones, all the way to up to my favorites are probably the 13s. Arizona 13s. And so I have various colorways, uh, different styles from all through every pair of the shoes. And uh, every one of them has a story for myself. I can uh, remember uh, the last shot, uh, which is one of the last championships that Michael Jordan played. And I remember watching it with one of my relatives. And then uh, I remember seeing those shoes and I always wanted them, but I, I couldn't get them at time because we couldn't afford them. And so now that I'm older, I'm going back and buying all of those shoes. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 I guess it's to remember my youth in that way. And for yeah. the net people, you know, one of the teachings for us was that you're not supposed to have multiple shoes. You weren't supposed to have all of these different types of shoes because we, we, we pray a lot. We, we, we walk so much in our shoes that it's part of us. And, uh, every time that we start to, you know, put on different shoes all the time. It's like, you know, we're losing a piece of ourselves or it's not recognizing us, you know? And so that was one of the things that was taught to us a long time ago. And, uh, you know, one of the things they used to say is, uh, uh, you know, it, it makes you dumb sometimes. It dumbs you down a little bit when you have multiple things, you know, of certain things. And so that was one of the things my mother used to tell me when I was growing up. It was crazy for a person to have multiple pairs of shoes. And so today, I, I guess I don't listen, you know, <laughs> I'm still doing that. Uh, one of the things, too, is uh, there's very, a lot of small teachings in everything that we do. And uh, sometimes as I grow older, I start to understand it a little bit more. And um, it, it's about the, the teachings about humility and the practices of being a good relative. And uh, one of the things that came up recently in a discussion with some of my younger relatives and siblings was... Uh, dogs and the purchasing of dogs you know in our society in our in our communities it was almost wrong it was a wrong it was frowned upon to buy a dog to purchase a dog because mm -hmm. of the significance of the dog in our societies you know there's even ceremonies dog ceremonies that we have still that exist in our societies and you know some of them uh, are extinct the practitioners have took those ceremonies with them but you know there's a there's a there's an importance in understanding that those teachings around those. And so, uh, you know, just little things like even at nighttime, you're not supposed to look outside, you know, or even the Northern lights, you're not supposed to stare at the Northern lights. Uh, <laughs> you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to whistle at night. Um, you know, there's a lot of small little things like that, that was taught to us growing up. And today I find myself telling that to my daughters too, to my children. And, uh, one of the other things that was uh, taught to me that we're trying to do more often is to, to wake up early and to greet the creator, greet the, the holy beings in the morning and put out our prayers in the early morning. In the Southwest, um, you know, here in the North, they use tobacco for offerings quite often, a lot. But in the Southwest where I come from, you know, we use uh, corn pollen, corn pollen and white corn pollen and yellow corn uh, pollen. We call it kadadin. And it's the, 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 the white powder pollen that comes off the tip of the tassels of corn stalks. And so uh, when the corn is mature enough and 
it's ready to be pollinated, we go and we shake that corn uh, pollen off of there and we utilize that in our ceremonies and we use mm -hmm. it to, to bless ourselves and to ground ourselves. And so sometimes we'll take a little bit here and then we'll put some on top of our, our body. This is for the inside of our bodies and we acknowledge our inside, our spiritual aspects of our insides, our, you know, our heart, our mind, you know, emotional aspects and up here, our physical being, our physical bodies. And then over this road that we walk, you know, we offer that to that corn pollen road that we, this beauty way uh, that we understand that we're trying to walk. And so to understand those teachings, you know, that's the kind of practice of art than the people down in the Southwest. And so over here, they smudge, you know, they smudge and they, they offer tobacco and things like that. And so in our communities, you know, we smudge people off too. We'll use cedar, we use um, things like that. We also use um, juniper. We also have uh, uh, tobacco also. We pick our own tobacco from our mountains. And so we have yeah. tobacco smoke that we smoke in our ceremonies and things like that. So there's a, some similarities in some of the Plains culture and the Cree people. And so we utilize a lot of that too. So, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. And uh, <clears throat> sorry, I was just <laughs> I was just like zoned out in what you're saying and trying to analyze everything. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying uh, to take you on a journey here. You yeah, know, and, uh, I am on a journey here. Ladies, yeah. I'm trying to we, take you we, back there with our people and uh, making those connections for you. That's the the thing that sometimes we have to to do is take people to those places to really make sense of it. You know, uh, we can talk about all that we want, but it's going back to those places that you really start to understand. Uh, when you go outside and you're really taking that cold air and wake yourself up, when you drink that first glass of water, nourish yourself, you know, uh, when you go out there and you say those prayers consistently, you start to make those connections then you start to understand those relationships that you cr create and then acknowledging yourself uh, being here in this present time and being able to have that understanding. A language is a big part of that, you know, uh, Assad, you know, this language that we speak, Nikhazad. You know, uh, this language that we utilize is very important when we talk about our prayers and putting out our prayers, those types of ways. We utilize our language and it's important to do that because the, the deities, they hear us that way. Um, one of the other things was that we, we wear a piece of turquoise all the time too so that the deities know that we're their child. And so I myself, I have a ring that I wear and has turquoise on it. And I always utilize it and I always wear it. And it's kind of like a protection piece for our people too. We always have to have a piece of turquoise on us. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I notice uh, the Navajo, they're always making turquoise jewelry. So that's the meaning behind that, eh? Yeah, yeah. is what they call it in this turquoise stone. You know, it's uh, very important to us in that understanding. And so... Then they people, they like to dress up too. You know, you saw the big concho belts that they wear. They wear the squash blossom necklaces or, you know, the you know the, the necklaces that they wear. Sometimes they got the turquoise earrings that they string up into the ears. The traditional wear, way that we hair, wear our hair also, you know, you notice I'm wearing braids here today. You know, that's, that's kind of my lazy way of uh, dressing myself up sometimes. But we also tie our hair into a, a, a tiel, what they call a bun. It's a bundle that we tie on the back of our head. You know, for the men, we wear it a little bit lower. For the women, they wear it a little bit higher up here. And what that represents is those uh, ceremonial bundles that we have in our societies. And so if you've ever seen a bundle tied, 
you know it's it's, it's got a top and a bottom and then the the, mm -hmm. the string that wraps around and so uh a seat oh that's what they call that a seat oh is that hair tie which is representative of, of all of the um you know all of the things that we bring together whether it's our knowledge whether it's our ceremonies whether it's our prayers we've tied all of those things together to protect it to carry it to have with us and so when we tie our hair up like that it's also a process for us you know for the people there's this process that we utilize every day and uh you know we would call it ninsakes which is this process of thinking uh to to prepare ourselves you know, and uh, you know, which is this process of planning and being able to plan for the day. And then we also go through this process called is this uh, the life practices, the, the execution of what we planned and what we thought of, you know, and uh, and then at the end of the day we have this reflection time. This, this time of looking back, did we achieve what we wanted to today? And we call that sehasin, uh, sehasin, And so to be able to understand those processes throughout our day, you know, we plan it and we organize it that way. And so when we fix our hair in the morning, you know, sometimes we'll put a little bit of water on our head. We'll try to smooth out our hair. We brush it. During that whole process, you know, we're doing all of those that work, you know, uh, we're thinking, we're planning. We're getting ready for the day. And so when we tie our hair all up and we're ready, we're just up, we have our turquoise on, we're ready to go out into the world and execute it. And be, we're going out into the world prepared, we're ready. And so that's what we say when we uh, dress ourselves up, we tie our hair up and all of those things. And so our hair is also, as a, as a male, some of the teachings that I grew up learning was that the hair is also a representation of rain rain and water and so uh we talked about water you know on, on our head and the hair is representative of that you know it's on top of our head for a reason is to nourish our good thoughts our positive thinking our, our positive outlook and so our hair is representative of that and so as we grow our hair longer it's also uh, a way that we uh collectively um take that knowledge in and it's a representation of that and so that's some of the teachings that we have from our people and uh, we, our hair is representative of that too. So do you guys have a practice of growing your hair long too, where you come from? Yeah, I had this big old mullet when I was a kid. And uh, <laughs> my dad actually, my dad, he's passed on now. And this is something I, um, <clears throat> so it was a couple of years ago, he, he got sick with uh, cancer. And then, you know, I started growing my hair and, Cause I knew, right. Like, and this was going to happen. And, uh, and, and the meanings behind it, you know, the strength, the hair, the, all that stuff. And my dad always had his ponytail and a braid and he always wore the bandana and, uh, and I'm going to do this because, um, you know, growing up, it was because of him. I had the, the braid and my mom still has it at home when I cut it off when I think I was 10 years old. And, um, so when my dad got sick, I decided to grow it again. And then one day I got irritated at work and I said, I'm going to cut this off. And I regret it after that. And then I tried to do it again. And then I kind of, I made peace with it. You know, my, my dad was gone now. It was a bit of a mourning thing, but I made my peace with it and I'm okay with it now. And, uh, you know, 
that's the significance to the hair. There's so much meaning to it. And, and then there's so much the same as yours too, right? Yeah. Well, I also uh, talked about it too uh, earlier. You know, uh, I've cut my hair once and uh, that was when I was a very young, young, uh, young man. And uh, it was bullying. It was kind of, you know, being made fun of and things like that, that really pushed me to do That's that. And I do. What I did was I cut it here on both sides and I took those braids and I hid them in my, my uh, father's vehicle in the glove compartment. And then um, since then, I've never cut my hair again. You know, I, my, my parents, they always, uh, they always encouraged me to keep my hair long. And throughout the years, I always had people come in trying to make fun of me. And, you know, even at school too, you know, they'd always tease me and bring a scissor behind me and try to act like they're going to cut my hair. I, it really made me uh, stronger that way. And uh, I really took a lot of pride in that. And uh, it probably didn't look that way because I, I was, man, I was bushy haired all the time. My hair was just <laughs> huge, you know, and Mom. I used to have really thick hair too. You know, my braids were really thick. And then when I got a little bit older and I had kids of my own, you know, my hair started to thin out. And uh, my daughter, my old first daughter, she has real thick hair. It's really thick hair. And it's like, man, that's where all my hair went, you know? And uh, the same with my mother. She used to say that to me. She said, she said, oh, you have all of my hair, you know? You took all my hair. And um, one of the things that was also taught to me is that the hair is also really significant and there's a spiritual connection that you have with it that sometimes if you just leave it out or laying around, people can take advantage of that. They can utilize that against you. And so one of the teachings that we had amongst our people is that we take care of our hair the proper way. And so for me, uh, in our home, we take we gather all of our hair, or any hair that falls out, hair on the brush, any hair that we cut. You know, one of the things that we're also taught is we don't cut hair at night. And so our, our kids also know that our, our, our family relatives are not allowed to cut their hair at night. And uh, any hair that we do cut, we take care of it. And then sometimes uh, we'll light a fire, particularly for it. And then we'll go and we'll burn that hair and let go of it that way. And so that was one of the things that was taught to me growing up too. And so uh, there's a significance in understanding all of that. And, uh, you know, it's a part of you. It, it has all your prayers. It has your your tears and it. it has your sweat in it. All of these different parts of you in it. And so uh, you have to treat it with respect and take care of it properly that way. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You mentioned that too. I've heard that before. And uh, when they pay, pass on, they say, um, when uh, when they pass on, they'll come back looking for the hair. I've heard that before when I was getting my hair cut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys have a practice of, uh, you know, uh, taking the, your, your child's belly button and burying it too and putting it somewhere safe or things like that? Because for us, uh, the net people, you know, the net down in Arizona, that was one thing that we used to practice too. And so, you know, depending on your parents or your grandparents, what they wanted for you, they would, you know, put that belly button, you know, that, that naturally falls off of you and they'll, they'll go put it back into the earth or somewhere, you know, that you can make a connection where they would put prayer out for you or blessings or well wishes for you. And so, you know, uh, I had some relatives, you know, they're, they're just real naughty and, uh, you know, they're always digging around and, you know, we're always asking, man, I wonder where they buried your belly button. You know, you're always looking for it. And so these kids are just digging around all the time, you know, getting into everything. And so you guys have to practice something similar to that, too, with your belly buttons. 
I think so. I mean, uh, maybe someone in the comments. I've heard of that before. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, even uh, when my son was born, I've heard of that before. I'm sure someone can uh, chime in and, and throw that out there. But yeah, I believe it's the same thing. And uh, yes, we do. Yeah, Daryl J. McDonald says, yes, we do. Nice. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah still... yeah there's a lot of uh, topics that we could keep going on for and how long we've we been at it hour yeah, and a half an almost. <laughs> i was just like oh man we're gonna end it i was like we're gonna end with the basketball but i, I want to end on uh, one more thing i'm just gonna ask you see if uh, um um would be interesting to hear the navajo version of the two nations separate i think i've we talked about this before there um the first time we met and uh maybe a quick story um, about uh, that, and then uh, we'll end her off, man. And, and yeah, well, um, you know, we have a storytelling season in our in our communities, and uh, when the snow is out, is when we tell a lot of our stories, and that was some of the traditional practices of our, our Diné people, and uh, some of the things that we hear in those stories make those uh, connections to our relatives and uh, how there was a separation at one time there's a, a spiritual story then there's a general story that is told and you know sometimes for people uh because this concept is such a such a out of this world concept for a lot of uh, people or outstairs it's it's so hard to make sense of it sometimes because of maturity you know we don't have that maturity yet to really process that understanding information Many of us won't even know or hear that story until we're of uh, older age. And then, like I talked about too, you know, there was also a taboo about, you know, the separation and us coming back together and things like that. But some of the basic uh, things that we can talk about that we can share is that um, that there was a time where they, 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 they reference uh, even the ice age, you know, in the story. And so if you can think back to that time period, there was a group of Dene people Dene, that were traveling together. And one of the stories that my family shared with me, my, my dad, this is specific to my ter my family, my relatives. And so I don't speak on behalf of all Dene people in my territory because every one of them, they're different regions. They also have stories of their own because our, our, our community is so vast, so big that, you know, there's a lot of different stories that we have there. And, um, uh, the story that my dad had shared with me about the, the separation was the story about the pipe. And so the, 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 during the time period of the Ice Age, there was a group of Dene people that were traveling together. And it was said that the iceberg had cracked and broke. And as it started to kind of separate, you know, one of the relatives was on one side and the other relative was on the other side. And trying to save the people from separating, you know, he reached out with the pipe and they say that when he reached out with the long pipe, uh, they were holding the long stem of it on one side and on the other side, they were trying to grab with the bowl, the bowl side of the pipe. And then uh, what ended up happening was that pipe separated and our people went two separate ways at that time. And, uh, you know, journeying during that time period, you know, our people went separate ways and some ended up in the Southwest where we are. And then some people are in the north too. And uh, 
there's a lot of conflicting stories sometimes about who went which way, you know, but amongst my relatives, amongst my family, uh, we always say that we came south. Uh, we came to the south and we, we came from the north. And so, uh, you know, we always use the, the Rocky Mountains sometimes as a reference point. You know, when we came out of the Rocky Mountains, that's when we understand we came the net. We became the net people of the southwest. And so um, there's an area sometimes uh, that we identify as what we call Hajine, a place where we emerge or some of our ceremonial stories come from. And so when we talk about some of those ceremonial stories and those songs that they recite, it, it starts to make sense in terms of, you know, the different worlds that we traveled into to get here. And if you look at the timeline of uh, human beings and put those stories together, you can see those reference points of uh, the flood. You can see the reference points of the, the ice age. Uh, all of these different things align that can sometimes tell you where we were at one time or one point. And um, one of the big things that I always uh, hear is this relationship with not only the Dene or Dene people here in the Northwest Territories or Saskatchewan or Alaska, sometimes they always make those connections with the, the, the Russians, you know, all those Russians on the other side there and how they, they speak a similar language or the way that they live, even the Mongolians, you know, how people try to make the relationships with Mongolians and them being our relatives too. And so um, we, we always hear the Barren Street theory, you know, and things like mm -hmm. that, the land bridge. Beringia, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't, I haven't myself heard something that directly tells us that that's what happened in our stories, you know, oh. the land bridge or Beringia. Uh, and that myth has been busted already, you know, uh, amongst uh, even scholars and historians and science now today. And so that, that theory doesn't hold a lot of weight anymore. But I myself haven't gone to a medicine man yet or, a, 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 you know, a knowledge keeper or a ceremonial person and said, did we cross that land bridge? Are we, you know, are we really from Russia? You know, I myself have never asked that question personally, but, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are interested in that. And the only stories that we do have is our ceremonial stories that we hold on to, that we see as truth, that we understand and we hear. And, uh, a lot of people who question a lot of things sometimes aren't language uh, carriers. They aren't. Uh, they don't have those connections to those uh, origin stories of our people, and probably haven't heard many of those things. And so sometimes they're really conflicted in their understanding about where we come from or who we really are. And so many of us that we know these stories and understand these ways, uh, we're comfortable with knowing that, you know, our our mm -hmm. origins like that and understanding, making those connections to our ceremonial stories and our, our, our existence in that way. So if you don't know Dene people, you know, we, we understand that we traveled through four different worlds to get to where we are now here today. And so that's the understanding. And um, there's all of these ills of life that we have represented in our stories too as monsters. And uh, we have heroes in our stories that are representative that us young men, we try to role model our life through and so our rites of passage is based on the stories of our hero twins and so what they did when they're growing in coming coming from adolescence into their manhood and those types of ways 
those are our rites of passages that we utilize, that we mimic there. And when we become of age, we go through those rites of passages to, to model our way of life based upon that too. And so those are the things that we are told and that's how we uh, understand our life ways too as the Net people. That's the perspective from my family, you know, from the the net from where I come from about the separation and then even the taboo of how things change today and uh, how a big change is going to happen when our people start connecting again. And so I myself, generations before me, they've already made those connections. They've always relationships already made. And so I know, I know a lot of people came up to these territories, whether it's Cold Lake whether it's up further north into the Northwest Territory, whether it's with the uh, relatives over in, uh, you know, the uh, Alaska area, you know, they've already made those reconnections generations, you know, a couple of generations back. And so what we see here today is a reunification of Dene histories and stories, relationships. And uh, I think we also have need to support one another in being able to revive a lot of the things that we have in our communities. And so, this what this forum that you have the neyatke or the neyatke igi uh these these uh opportunities to speak to one another uh hisad you know uh the nebazad you know this language with our the language is very important to be able to make those relationships and uh the only way that we can do that is sharing language and finding understanding in that and being able to share stories. And so I really appreciate your time, your patience, and all the relatives that are listening out there too. You know, I hope I did justice in being able to to relay our stories and our, our messages to our relatives. You know, being able to make those connections and being able to understand that. And, uh, you know, so I live with my mother's teachings, my father's teachings, my grandparents' teachings. That is life for me. Those are the teachings that guide my life. And so, uh, and so I try to walk, you know, this beauty way of life you know, this uh, beautiful balanced life way uh, on this corn pollen road for myself and my community and my people. And so it's important that I acknowledge that too and that I'm continuing to practice that even though I live here uh, intermarried into the Nihiwa Cree people. And so uh, my relatives back home, I never forgot who I am. I didn't forget my language. I didn't forget my practices. This is who I am. Warren, yeah, I just want to say thank you, man. You're a very knowledgeable man. And, uh, you know, one day yourself, you're going to be a very good, respected elder and a funny one that doesn't take himself too seriously. <laughs> gets ready for, uh, you know, child tax day with some beautiful turquoise <laughs> earrings and uh, you know that's what i learned that's one thing i learned uh, when you walk this uh, you know the red road is never to take yourself too seriously and always keep balance and uh, you know and it gets turn and i and again i want to thank you for coming on uh, deneyate podcast and then sharing your stories with us and and uh, normally i do it all in dene but uh, you know, it's not all about that. It's about what you said coming out together again. And that's what we're doing here today 
for the people, Dennis Uchlina, people everywhere, you know, whether uh, I know Myron Singer, he's there from uh, your nation down south. And, uh, you know, it's the Manitoba territories, Alaska. We got people everywhere coming together. And that's something you talked about. And uh, and social media gives us that. So, again, I want to thank you very much. Masi, Chonerosiu, and uh, well, we'll... Uh, send you backstage and if you want to say a farewell one more time and uh yeah i'll send you backstage do my bit yeah uh <laughs> Uh, you know, thank you for watching and listening and tuning in to me and uh, all my relatives that are there that I've always been supportive of me and being able to watch out for me and uh, even all of the relatives that come up north, you know, and being able to come into this region, this territory, you know, I appreciate you coming into this region and having a lot of respect for the communities that you visit and being able to have that understanding that, you know, we all are related in some way or another and that someday, you know, when we all come back together, that's always a beautiful thing. And so uh, keep speaking the Dine language, you know, uh, you know, the way that we talk, you know, you know, there's power in it. It's important in that way. And to remember, you know, your prayers, to remember uh, your songs. So, um, you know, remember all of those uh, elders in our communities and, uh, you know, uh, our children that are there. Take care of them. Be a good role model. Be a good answer. Take care of yourself. Walk in a good way. Walk in a beautiful way. And uh um mercy cho, thank you for having us here today. Thank you for having me and uh thank you for having us on your wonderful program. Masi Cho, I'll meet you back there in a second there. Masi Cho Hey, Nezula Kui, TJ Warren, uh, Red Mesa, Arizona, Kudu, Saskatoon, Banana, John, Dekola. Pretty cool stuff, you know. Konu, uh, Dennis Ushine, Shanin, Dele, Henny, Lat, Dea, TC, uh, you know, Masi, Chona, Her, Sion, Dun, Zinegas, Her, Ustai, Salot, Ina, everywhere, near and far. Navajo Nation to way up north, the dog rib logos in there. I hope you learned something new because I sure did. And the hotla then a halia tiresi at el dinondela. So Nezu, Masi Chona Hurusiu, and uh, thank TJ once again. And uh, could the beans in a get in Taylor's two and updated the uh, Gabi. Clinton Gailey, the birthdays now. So Clinton, the charge on a happy birthday, Rose, need to be. Okay. Salut in a dunes in a genobar, yonle, oh, tada jala. Teo taste. Kola, Deniate podcast. Willis John Vieuchin in Taylor's Tuazi. Clearwater River Denny Nation band member, the Esleon. I come to you live from the Treaty Four territory. 
home of the Cinnaboyne, Nakota, Sioux, Soto, the Métis, and all the Dakotas. Masi, cho, you have a good night. Salut in